0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Columbus, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Seth Teagle. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you here. Now, Seth, you've been in the multifamily apartment space for a number of years, and I know you and I have a philosophy in common. But before we dive into the details, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah.
1: So uh, I started in real estate about six years ago. I started working for an individual I was friends with that uh, had a small portfolio and I uh, was doing project management and property management for him. I realized quickly through that experience that single family was not the route I wanted to go as far as investing. Um, and I bought into the multifamily um, space and how we can and really grow wealth and and uh, how scalable it is and so uh, I purchased my first property almost four years ago now it was a 50 unit you know we turned the went full cycle with it and have just been going since then uh, we're at about 600 doors now we've integrated management into our uh, business and you know we are full-on uh, operators in uh, in space so
0: that's about it I love that story. And one of the things that I often discuss with investors is their systems and processes, and ask the question, if you like what you're doing, multiply by a hundred or multiply by, let's say, in this case six hundred, and are you still going to like doing things the way you're doing them now? How much of that has been a factor in the way that you've built your business?
1: Yeah, so I think it's like a huge part. you know we like I said, the reason I went into multifamily was because I realized, just how doing a ton of work on 20 units that were spread out all over the city and couldn't systematize the, the materials, the, the ordering, the logistics were just so taxing. And it was no, I guess when I bought the first 50 that we did, it was, I was doing 50 units underneath three roofs that were all on the same property. And the effort that we were putting in, I think, was either the same or less than I was running around all the town on 20 single-family homes. The nice thing was my buying power went through the roof because we were able to standardize everything. So something that we worked on in that first deal was standardizing a buying list, like a master list that we use. And so we use the same products in all of our units. We use the same flooring, same everything. And so we've been able to, it's helped us scale tremendously
0: just by using those, those advantages to multifamily versus single family. So you talked about standardizing materials. Did you consolidate down to a standard crew that you work with on each and every project so that you've got the same working relationship, you've got the same systems and processes with all of your subcontractors so that you're really streamlining the normal case of what happens on a day-in, day-out basis?
1: Yeah. So what it allowed us to do was we were able to basically bring on a construction company or crew with one general contractor that he works primarily for me now and he does all of our unit turns, so we were able to teach the guys: this is how we wanted, this is the standard. And then they were they got very fast using the same product, the same materials on on all of our apartments. So now, when we're well, even when it comes down to lending, we're putting together a budget uh, and a capex plan. We we're pretty dialed in on that because we're using the same workers, the same like Lowe's. For instance, we did a million dollars in material purchasing last year, so they actually came to us and offered us a national buyer's account where we get significantly. Higher discounts than you would ever get one going retail, but then two, if you were just going in there and you you had a portfolio of twenty, thirty, forty single-family homes, you know we're buying. When I go in and buy like toilets, I'm buying a hundred of the same ones. I'm buying hundreds of gallons of paint in the same color because we do all of our apartments in the same color, all the way down to appliances to flooring. We've been able to to go straight to manufacturers of flooring and get it for um, pennies on the dollar compared to buying it through. Like a Lowe's or a Home Depot or even a flooring company, we've been able to cut out the middlemen completely on some of our items because we buy them in such volume. And then, you know, management wise, I had problems with property managers not being able to really understand what we were doing and how we were trying to create value and returns for investors. And so, after dealing with that for a couple of years, we just ended up bringing property management in house. And so now we have a staff of 10 people that do all the day to day managing of tenants and the properties in general. And then we're able to, you know, have direct oversight on how things are going on costs and just guarantee our returns and our projections better than if we were going to a third party.
0: I often talk to investors who are scared of going bigger. And one of the most difficult things to do in my experience is to stay small. Uh, You're describing some of the benefits of going bigger and how, in fact, things get so much easier when you make the decision to suspend disbelief and just go for it, like literally make a decision to go for it and go bigger. A whole bunch of things get so much easier, don't they?
1: Yes, I would absolutely agree with that.
0: Oftentimes I see syndicators out there focusing all of their energies on raising capital, as if that's the number one thing that is gating the growth of their business. And perhaps at a point in time, that may be true. It may be that access to capital is what's holding them back. But as soon as you knock that down, the very next thing right behind that, that's going to be the limiting factor, is the ability to execute. Sounds like you've made that your focus. It's hard for me to put a personal stamp on a property or, you know, if I send you a packet and I tell
1: you, hey, you know, these are the returns that I believe you're going to get. How do I truly guarantee that without really being the one that controls the operations of the property? You know, because all property manager, management companies that are not within the ownership group are for profit it only works for them to charge you the absolute most or tack on fees or do, you know, there's all kinds of little things where they get you. And so as an operator, you know, and I'm if I'm sending you uh, an investment package and then you're going to put money into a deal that I'm putting together, I, I feel like I want to be able to guarantee you that these numbers are achievable. And I know that through proven things that we've done in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think that operations is definitely something that's not talked about enough. Many, many people out there teaching people how to buy deals and how to, to try to raise capital and, you know, everybody has their own podcast these days, whether they've been in the business for six months or six years, I feel like that's always, you know, a common thing that, you know, so even just vetting like a platform such as as yours, vetting who you're listening to and making sure that they actually know what they're talking about is super important. But yeah, and and a way to get around the capital raising or or to kind of be able to be dual focused is in Columbus, Ohio, it's one of like the hottest Midwestern markets. And so what I've really done is try to focus on out-of-state groups that want to buy in Columbus or in Central Ohio, and you know they may have the capital, or they might be able to raise the capital, but they have nobody here to do the operations and the property management. And so, I've we done a couple of deals with out of state groups that have contacted me and said, "Hey, we want to be in the Columbus market, so that we work out a deal together, and we end up buying the property, and then we operate it after the fact." And that's been one way that I've gotten around it. And then two, just having proven track record has really been helpful. You know, that it's not just I always put myself in the investors' shoes. If I'm gonna give somebody $100,000 or $500,000 and they wanna be able to know that you're going to conserve their money and you're gonna be able to operate the deal correctly, there's no better testimony to that than being able to show them like, hey, on these last six deals, here's how you did it. And it wasn't just, the my answer is not, we gave it to a third-party property manager and then we managed them.
0: Well, at the very high end, it is. I think it is possible to have a third-party property manager if it's one of the large national players that really specializes. You're going to be putting the staff on your payroll. If you have a complex that's 250 units, the staff's going to be on your payroll. And yes, you're going to hire that third party, but you've got dedicated people that are paying attention on a daily basis. Very different from a third party property manager where you're only getting a fraction of someone's attention and their attention's divided amongst a dozen customers or more. That's a very different scenario. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that. The, the, and then and like you just uh, spoke to scaling up, you know, the, the bigger the
1: property, the more staff you can have on site. That's much, uh, definitely a different story than going with a property management company that's local that has 2,000 units and you're just one of, 40 or 50 investors that they're trying to take care of. You're never going to get the, or your property will never get the attention that it deserves or needs for you to achieve your numbers. I think by going with a guy like that, but nothing, there's anything wrong with it, but when you're putting a deal together and promising people a specific amount of return on their capital, to me, that's that I have not had good luck with that in my area. So I'm sure there are people out there that would would say differently, but I definitely agree that the bigger properties and you have onsite staff, and then those are managed by a big company. That's that's a definitely a, a better way to go.
0: So what is the sweet spot? Is it a matter of making sure that there are enough units in a particular project so that you can afford the staff to work full-time in that project? Or is it simply having enough units within a given geographic area and perhaps bringing that function in-house so you can put a blanket umbrella property management function over the entire portfolio?
1: Uh, yes, that's great. So that was really kind of like what what changed for us. So I had I had a 50 unit, then a 40 unit, and I wasn't really big enough. And that was in one area. And then we went to an area we bought 180 units and that had onsite staff already. So what we ended up doing at that point was then saying, Hey, we're going to bring them in house. They're familiar with this one property. We absorbed the four maintenance people that they had, and then the three leasing agents for that property. But then we started buying up smaller properties all around it. And so, you know, we were able to scale in that area with staff, like you're saying. And, and that was, I think that's the the big thing is, you know, the industry standard people would say is like one maintenance person, one leasing agent for hundred units. I think it depends on the class that you're buying in. That might be great for, you know, high B class or A class, but if you're buying a C class property in a C class area, you might need more than one person and one maintenance person. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of how we got into the management piece of it was we weren't really happy with what we were finding. And so that's how we did it by bringing on the other properties that allowed us to hire more people then. And so now we you know, we really have a, a good handle on it for our, ourselves, but yeah, I would say, you know, a hundred units or more, whether that's three fifty units to get you to 150 or that's one 150 unit deal. I think that's really kind of where you, once you start getting over that
0: is when you can really start looking at or maybe it's, it, it makes sense to bring in people on your own. Yeah. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And that mirrors our experience as well in, in our portfolio, that when you're trying to do projects that are too small, that are too distributed geographically, you don't get and you're using third party management, you simply don't get enough share of mind from your property managers to give the properties the attention they deserve. And absolutely, if you are in that lower tier quality of property, they're much more maintenance heavy, there's a much greater demand on your people to be interacting with tenants on a daily basis. And therefore your management costs go way up as a percentage of rent. You might be doing your spreadsheets assuming that, oh, our management costs are going to be 5% of gross or something like that. But in reality, in the cold, hard light of day, uh, it's going to be much, much higher than that, especially in the lower quality properties.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the lower quality properties, if you're not planning on going in and renovating the whole complex, sometimes you're just chasing your tail with the deferred maintenance because something always leads to something else. And then it's like you said, it's there's guys that are phenomenal at doing due diligence, but I still just don't think that you can cover all your bases and know what's behind the drywall. They're definitely higher return on capital, sometimes higher cash flow. The risk is obviously higher and, and is definitely there. And so you hope for the best, but you know, like I said, we've, we've, I, we've bought properties from guys that didn't go in capitalized enough and then had to sell, in distress because they were they couldn't afford to go in and do all the renovations and and the and, the, and take care of the deferred maintenance on front. and so then they just ended up bleeding dry with maintenance calls and constant problems and they ran out of money um, and then they were just trying to get rid of the property because they were
0: you know they, it was a sinking ship at that point for them. That's all too familiar a story. Absolutely. Now you happen to be based in Columbus, Ohio, and you are working Columbus because you happen to live there. But if you didn't. Would you move to Columbus to do what you're doing right now? I think so. Like I said, Columbus is a really amazing market. It's it's constantly
1: growing. There was no uh, sight and stop. It did not, you know, even during COVID, it wasn't, it was hardly affected. Rents continue to grow. It's very, very stable area. As far as if you're investing or interested in investing in the Midwest, it's one of the best cities to invest in. There's a lot of competition here, which has pushed a lot of guys out into some of the tertiary and secondary markets. But that's been good for those of us that own in those markets already, because then, Especially with COVID and people started working remotely, well now all of a sudden it wasn't a big deal to move 30 minutes outside the metro area. And so you know I mean all around us, because Columbus is, is such a strong market, it's really making all the other markets around it much stronger than they were even a, even a few years ago. So I, I like the Midwest. I was born and raised in the Midwest. I've always lived out in the Midwest and whatnot. And so just kind of home for me. The cost per door is much cheaper than either coastal uh, areas of the country, and the gap rates are still pretty reasonable. And I'm not at a point where I'm like buying out of state. Everything I have is in central Ohio. If I was looking to move into a solid market to really start buying stuff, I think, you know, Columbus is definitely on the top four, top five that I would look at. Well, Seth, if folks want to learn more, if they want to connect, what's the best way? Uh, They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can give me a call on my cell phone. I can give you the number. It's uh, 614-800-1969. They can find me on our website, thestreamgroups.com. And, uh, my email is Seth
0: at the stream groups and groups has an S on it.com. I love it. Well, Seth, thank you for the perspective and for the listeners at home. Definitely connect with Seth at Seth at the stream groups.com. The link is in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And We'll talk to you again tomorrow.